0: Iris, take it away. Hey,
1: welcome to this week's show. Today we have Vicious, a professional dominatrix that I'm very excited to have on. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while now. So hi, welcome. Hello.
2: And, and uh, yes, welcome. And uh, this, is, this is our uh, surprise start to our new theme for season three. We wanted to cover people... Of different lifestyles and learn from them. Uh, So here we are.
1: So exciting and I know you in personal life and I already think that you're a blast and I adore you. So it's extra fun to get to talk to this about or to get to talk about all this with you. So what how exactly does one become a professional dominatrix?
0: Generally it's there's not like a school for it. So it's not really like a, it's really more pertained to your training and how much you're willing to go and put out there. And really it's a lot about self-learning. I had to learn what my tolerances and what my preferences are before I could take on any clients or people on my own. I also had to learn a lot about anatomy. You have to learn about safety procedures, keeping your space clean, you know, how to properly choke somebody because, you know, shockingly enough, it's, it's an art, you know, you have to make sure there's some people who can't get marks. Well, if you like to be choked and you can't get marks, that's a real, there's, there's certain things you have to do to be, and you have to know that. And that's, YouTube isn't really going to teach you that type of stuff. You have to, you have to really find somebody who's just way more pro than you. And I worked under a a dominatrix for three years um, in Arizona and she was fantastic. And Um, she, you know, takes people on invite only. And I was really fortunate the company that I was with and that I was with at the time, um, really hooked me up with her and, um, it was several years and I was just working as I started as an escort. So it was like, you kind of go from just going on dates with people to get through college and pay your rent and not have to live in a dorm to it being like a real job that you almost have to kind of decide, like, is this going to be my career? So it was a very interesting, like, right turn that I didn't really expect to make when I was so, younger.
2: So, so, you mentioned being an escort. So, you know, this, that, that, I guess that was your, your start, I guess, right?
0: Yes. yes did, you
2: know, did, did you grow up in a, in a liberated household?
0: No. I, no. my mom is a missionary. Um, she has been a missionary, a Christian missionary under the Assemblies of God since I was about 12. And that is pretty much, I grew up Catholic until I was about, I want to say eight or nine, my mom converted to Christianity. And it was very strict. We were not really taught about any of that. And even sex was something we really couldn't bring up or even sexual things. So I definitely did not. (laughs) But I always felt like there had to be something more like, why would you want to keep something secret that was so um, it seemed personal and and could be so interesting, you know? Did you
2: go to a school that uh, taught sex ed comprehensively?
0: Um, I went to public school and then I just did my senior year in private school, but I was actually, I did public school only until about fourth or fifth grade then I was homeschooled. So until fifth grade, yes. And then after that, it was just my mom um, making me write reports on STDs. <laughs> that so was from like fifth grade
2: of- onward, you were homeschooled.
0: Right, until um, about ninth grade, so about five years of there, I was homeschooled. And then in about ninth and 10th grade, um, I did like home study. That was like the first program that they offered. And my mom was like, well, that seems okay. And so um, I think she just didn't have enough time at that point. So I just did that. And it was great, actually. It was really, I had some really and, and, awesome teachers.
2: And, and, and I imagine this homeschool was somewhere abroad. You don't have to say the location.
0: Um, it, was, it was just Northern California.
2: Oh, okay. And, and I imagine, you know, with your mom being active as a missionary there's a pressure for her to you know put on a good image you know oh, totally. live live the live according to what practice what she preaches so it was yeah. incompatible to openly yeah. discuss sex topics I, I oh, imagine
0: yeah. oh yeah even the basics it was not it was a, not a thing It was like we don't talk about that It's was like oh okay you know
2: yeah and I imagine there must there's a lot of tension naturally between sex and religion
0: Totally. And I think too, like the exploration of anything, even remotely sexual, you know, is, is a no, you don't talk about it. You know, if you're not praying or worshiping, that's really all they kind of cover.
1: Did you right. marry? If you're married and if it's pro- procreation
0: right. only right. and that's it. Right. Did you date in
2: high school and college?
0: A little bit, but good Christian boys. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I say Did that date- and I laugh, but they were sweet men. They were sweet guys.
2: Did you go to a, a, a public uh, state college? I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you went two short. That, that must've been a big awakening.
0: Um, I went with like an arts program at first and I wanted to do like, I had, um, I already had had like some early childhood education. So like my first job, I really wasn't trying to be a dominatrix. So I was like, I'm gonna be normal. I'm just gonna do this to get through some college and then midway through, um, some family got sick and I ended up having to move back. And I kind of was like, what am I gonna do? And I ended up um, using my ECE and my, cause I actually took criminal psychology for a little bit or psychology, you start there. But I wanted to do criminal psychology, ended up doing, um, I ended up being a social worker of all things for two years. Which was atrocious. Now,
2: why, why escort? (laughs) Uh, Because, like, I I know it's one thing to have a crisis of faith. I know it's one thing to have a big awakening in college, but you know, it's another thing to say I'm going to work as an escort. That's quite a step. Like, why, why, what made you want to delve into that?
0: I'll be honest. I was always curious, more curious than my mother could ever really. So I just learned to not ask questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I just found my answers at other places, Um, public libraries, you know, just basic like reading books. You read a romance novel that's not really like geared towards, there's always a romantic aspect to it. There's always guys and girls. So I got a lot of it through that. And then, um, you know, I had a lot of friends who I I think I lived vicariously through them because I was too afraid to to kind of do it on my own. Yeah,
2: you had the the friend that you can always talk and giggle about it with, correct? Yeah,
0: no, and I had several of them. Basically, I had ho friends and they were great. <laughs> Wonderful education. Very, ho very friends awesome. are the best. They're the best. They're the best. Um, I think I'm the ho friend now, but like, I think I get a lot less sexual contact than people assume because of my job. But I swear, like everybody, they'll text me and be like, so anal. I'm like, girl, just use lots of lube. You're good. <laughs> you know, you have to be like that. You have to have that one friend that can tell you things you can't ask somebody else. Right, the questions um, you don't want to ask your right. mom
1: or your doctor right. or
0: yeah uh, how about it,
1: the how
2: about the transition then between uh escort and dominatrix like what what made you curious about that was it the men that you met that secretly shared that yeah i like i like when the girl takes the lead or something like that
0: no i think i was just really good at it like okay so with, with <laughs> i was just really good at it but no but being like when you're when you're comfortably good at something and you don't have to work too hard it's definitely more appealing than having to work and work and work and potentially not reach the potential that is for you and I think um kind of going back to your other question um with transitioning um I don't think it was a hard transition because at the time I they knew I was like super young so they were like it, for me it was more like I want to pay for my books and not stress and I would ask the other girls what are you guys doing and they're like, we go on dates with old guys and I was like I could totally go on a date with an old guy <laughs> I, was like, I could do this and um you know they just that's really they didn't really bother you for other stuff if they wanted more they would be like hey so you want to like come back and you're like no you know like you got, <laughs> and you got money hell yeah And it wasn't specifically like, I think everybody just assumes if someone's getting an escort, they're having sex. And and if you're getting a prostitute, yes, that's definitely what you're looking for. An escort's more of like a date. So I actually had homosexual clients who just needed beards and they just wanted to go places where their bosses were. And they didn't want them to know that they were homosexual because that wasn't going to, Benefit them in a good way or at all. So Mm. I had some homosexual. I had old guys who honestly couldn't get it up if they wanted to. They just enjoyed having a woman around. You know, they Mm. just enjoyed the company. Yeah, the the company. Honestly, the companionship. Just having somebody around. Yeah, Um, I never felt like I had to agree to anything sexual, and so then transitioning into with that, I did that for about a year and a half. And when I moved back, they said, "Hey, would you be interested in potentially training to go into our fetish division?" And I was like. Sure. That sounds less touchy. And it was, it was fun. I was, you know, it was less of the guys putting their arm around your waist and treating you like a date and more of them treating you like a goddess. So at 19 and a half, 20, I felt like so empowered. It was great.
2: <laughs> so, so wait, how many divisions are
0: there? So there's, Oof. there's considerable with, with my company, there's just, there's escort, then they have, this company also has a porn division, which is soft core. I don't know what else they do because I don't do any of that. Um, and then they have um, a fetish division, which is what I fall under. So we're not considered like, we're considered, it's a broad spectrum there. Mm-hmm. So you have everything from, you know, guys who just want you to do weird stuff to like guys who want to lick your toes or shave your legs and guys who just want to get beat on.
2: So, yeah. So, so, so you mentioned empowering. Um and uh, what, what like you mentioned self-learning, where did you turn to, like who did you turn to?
0: Well, initially the company always sets you up with like a manager, kind of like a mom who kind of has been there, maybe is like towards the end of her career. And so a lot of what they do is they help you kind of manage, uh, some girls get really emotionally involved and you have to learn to compartmentalize that. And that's something you have to learn. Nobody's born just doing that usually. So that was something that I had to learn how to, you know, guys will tell you a lot of garbage and they'll sometimes be really honest too. Like, you know, I've had clients where their wives were there and there was a physical issue with them being able to like play with them in a BDSM setting. And so they wanted to be of there though, be involved. And that was really, it's amazing to be part of someone else's like journey, whether that was BDSM or them, you know, having their own space and you're kind of just in it because they, maybe the um, I had one where the wife had had a stroke so she couldn't dominate him or play with him in that capacity anymore but he loved it she knew he loved it and so they invited me you know purchased time and I was there and like as a part of their their stuff and that was kind of neat. it was very empowering to be a part of somebody's thing without having to be the focal point it was like huh. you were almost like your that own- is
1: somehow the weirdest but most romantic thing I've ever heard in my right? life that's right? so sweet oh, like-
0: one day I want to be her. Like, she was so, she was like, honey, she was like talking to him and and all I had to just be there, just like flogging this guy. I felt like I was like intruding on their private time. It was amazing. I was like.
2: So this is surprisingly deep because, you know, most people think of dominatrix stuff as, as some, uh, some crazy game, but you know, this is actually helping people in a way.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm not going to lie. I've had several clients that come um, recommended through therapists who are like, maybe you need to release tension this way or that way or different things. A lot of them, they ha- they fantasize about this for such a long time and they might even, like I have a, a client who has tried about three different people who were like, like Twitter dominatrixes. So they were like, they're like 22 and 25 and they really didn't have like proper training and so it was more of like a money grab than it was something for them. Um, and then they come here and it's like, wow, the difference is amazing. Like the setup looks so safe and clean and it looks so organized. And you're asking me like, how do I feel about this? What is, you know, do I have a spouse involved? Like, I try to be very, very like respectful um, to my clients, um, others. Sometimes they have a significant other. Sometimes they just have a family or religion that's kind of their other, that's just really um, intense, you know, on who they are as far as a person. And Mm -hmm. they don't know how to like break out of that. So they're trying to do this like on the side. And I try to offer like no condemnation, no judgment. I'm like, okay, well, are there any things that I can maybe not call you or not say to you or not do with you that is someone else's space with you, you know, or try to be a little bit more like, thoughtful towards their other part of their life, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, are there, is there anything uh, in common uh, uh, among your clients that would make them want to seek um, this type of thing?
0: I think the or- same thing that, that kind of put me in this is just the, the want for more. Like there has to be more, you know? And I think some people are fine with the norm and that's great. And some people like just a little bit, like maybe they, you know, maybe during sexual contact with a very intimate partner that they trust, they want some spankings or they want some hair pulling or something, you know, and then there's people who want more. They just want more. And I think that that's probably the only commonality. I mean, I have had women, I've had a lot of older men, but a lot of times that's the age where they can afford it. Or they have the kind of like balls to just say, I want this. I don't care anymore. Uh Um, But I have younger men too. Like I have, all ages, all types. So not really, except for that want for something more.
1: Just the want to explore an adventure. Yeah,
0: they just, they, it's like, I, especially, I think you hit ages in your life. And I think it differs for men, women and different people. Like, is this it? Like, you know, like a lot of them are business owners. A lot of them are in like high, you know, stress jobs where they, um, you know, lawyers, I have people who are in, you know, like local local politics and they have really really high responsibility jobs and I think you come here and someone else is responsible for everything and you get to kind of just be without having to have those expectations without having to be the
1: authoritative person the decision maker
0: the response just kind of yeah yeah, getting that
1: stress relief that I mean that makes perfect sense yeah,
2: um, well, everyone. I think everyone knows the stereotypical portrayal—the the cat suit and the fishnet. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Uh, Batman Returns. Right. Um, it, uh, I imagine that's a tired old stereotype. But is there is there a, uh, well, is there anything you want to say about you know uh, breaking the stereotype?
0: I think I think the biggest stereotype is. Porn ruins a lot of things. <laughs> you know, oh, like you're not gonna go next door and your neighbor's not gonna be half naked watering her lawn. That's not true. <laughs> and the, same with, the same with dominatrix. You know, like we aren't here just in our. You know, have you ever worn that pleather? It is sweaty. Okay, nobody. It's so likes
1: gross. It. No. You got
0: five minutes. I got five minutes. And I'm over it. But <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of things that are just not feasible in real life that are, and a lot of people, I think when they look up dominatrix, BDSM, you come through a lot of porn and sexual things. And I think if there's one thing I could tell people is that BDSM doesn't require sex and you can, you can do it, but it doesn't have to require sex. And many people who live the lifestyle don't really ever, they have normal sex and then they have BDSM and it's not always mutually exclusive to each other right
1: but it doesn't it's not that sex is necessarily a requirement right for either
0: right right so you can have you know you can have bdsm without sex and you can have sex with bdsm it's all it's all not really just the sexually charged stuff a lot of times i don't think my my clients are even really attracted to me on a physical level they're attracted to the dominance they're attracted to the thing that makes me different Anybody can go and have, you know, it's like, what makes you better or different than their wife? Well, their wife's there every day. Their wife, this is, you know, this is, their wife isn't gonna come into their dungeon and, and you know, be all dominating and whatever, every single day. It's very hard to do that every single day and live up to that every single day. And I think a wife would probably be tired.
2: <laughs> do, are you concerned that uh, you might ruin existing relationships. You mentioned compartmentalizing. You're you're saying that there's these are separate circles: regular sex and BDSM sex. Are you concerned that you might be ruining relationships?
0: Uh, I think I would be if I was involved in sexual relationships with them. I'm. I honestly don't think people understand BDSM, and I think if I have a lot of clients who their significant others do not want to have, they know that they like certain things and they're like, yeah, I don't don't really wanna do that, but that's weird. Or a submissive man may also have a submissive wife who, yeah, she runs the house well, but she could never and would never want to dominate him. I think a lot of my clients uh, operate on a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy or they're in private open relationships. And so this this isn't terribly offensive. Um, I do have some that are hiding it from their significant other, but I feel like that's kind of their their burden to bear. I Mm -hmm.
1: didn't,
0: like, I don't seek them out. They come to me. So I'm not really doing anything that I feel would break up a relationship in the sense of I'm not having sex with them. We're not going on dates. You know, I'm not, we're not developing like this deep interconnection. Um, I do have private submissives that are like for my own private, so I live this as a lifestyle as well. And I have my own private submissives, but even then, um, if they have a, like a significant other, I actually make it a point to have, be on good terms with their significant others and understand that. I understand that if they promise to be home at dinner at five, I'm going to make sure they're home for dinner at five. Cause that's not my space anymore.
1: You know? Right. You have, you keep that very specific yeah. distance right, right. and time frame.
0: Yeah. They have to respect it. You know, they, they put in their time to earn what they what they have worked with that person if they've been with them 15 years 10 years they put in a lot more time than i have and even though i'm a part of this i'm i'm not the first you know there's a primary your family your kids your bills those need to be taken care of absolutely yeah
2: yeah well you mentioned you know many people don't even know what bdsm is so at at the risk of sounding uh, really green here uh, how, how do we how do we define uh Dominatrix and BDSM. How do you define those terms? What does it mean to you?
0: Well, BDSM is something that it's, it's a conglomerate of a bunch of different actions. So it's bondage, domination, sadomasochism. Some people say submission, masochism really kind of works either way. Um, for me, it is the top and the bottom. You know, it's somebody who wants to do top things, which is dominate uh, the aggressor. The um, this is what we're doing. We're planning, and then the bottom person, the follower. And I tell I tell you know everybody when I teach dom dom classes for men and women. I tell them the first thing it is there are people who are made to lead and people who are made to follow. There's bosses at work and there's workers at work. And then sometimes a worker may elevate to you know a boss position, but you rarely see a boss go down to a worker position. So that's kind of how I I I guess separated is my job are these three things and your job are these things. Depending on my clients, of course, their needs are very usually unique. Um, Somebody could just really want to like be a foot worshiper and they're just a real mild submissive and they just want to worship feet and tell you how wonderful your feet are and what a goddess you are and you're like, oh, okay, thanks. Um, And then there's people who just truly want to be degraded. My specialty is degradation, humiliation, and deprivation which is why I have cage and all these tools but you don't need all of that to do, you know, this is, my dungeon is for all sorts of different types of BDSM, whereas at home, you might just like stimulation, which is something you can do with yourself, and it's mild, you know, so for me, it's a lot of different actions, and personally, um, like I said, my specialties are degradation, humiliation, and deprivation, so those are like my my top tier, that's kind of what I, my strength, and and
2: uh, and uh, we're we're in your dungeon virtually. Yeah. Uh, can you give us an orientation?
0: Um, so that's my cage. It's a people cage. I love it. People are like, is it a bird cage? I'm like, not in my dungeon. It's not. It's a people cage, and I put many people in there. Um, and How I big like, is it? Um, it's probably like two feet by two feet, maybe a little more. So it's it's small.
2: So you you, not- you can only stand. You can't. Uh, you, oh, you can't. can't
0: stand. It's only maybe about, oh,
2: it's legs. only two by two. Oh
0: yeah. And then, and then height wise, it's maybe five feet. So I could stand Uh-oh. in it, but, but I don't think anybody else can. Yeah. So it's, it's, oh, my back it,
2: hurts thinking about it.
0: I know it's amazing. <laughs> they love it. But also sometimes you have to kneel and I have carpet inserts. So if you're a good boy or girl, you get the soft carpet, but if you're a bad boy, you get the cheap hotel carpet that feels like like just gritty sandpaper. And oh. depending on how bad you are, you can be there for a long time sometimes. Uh-huh. So it depends. Um, behind me is, it's the St. Andrew's cross. So it's not this way, but this way. And it's more like an X and there's um, hooks all around it um, to attach like cuffs or any other type of bondage gear.
2: Now, now is Saint Andrew the saint of anything or is that just a name?
0: Honestly, I believe he is I think that's how he was crucified was on like a X cross but in BDSM we just thank him for his ingenuity for a cross.
2: You mean his sacrifice.
0: right His martyrdom <laughs> and, and teaching us so many new fun things.
2: Uh-huh are there, are there prayers to him?
0: No, not in this, not in this church. (laughs)
2: Oh, I see. So I think (laughs) another stereotype about BDSM is all the tools. Can you, can you give us an orientation?
0: Sure. Well, there's, so there's, there's, I think one of the bad stereotypes of BDSM that it's just about beating. And the thing is, is I can make somebody submit without having to beat the crap out of them. Like I said, some people can't have marks and some people can't take pain. So you're not a very good submissive. If I hit you once and you're crying and already calling red or yellow, or your safe word, which I use I use generic safe words here. It's just easier for everyone. Red is obviously stop and that will cease the session completely. And I'll tell you, if anybody is looking to get in any type of BDSM um, role play, whatever you're doing even if it's privately or with somebody you trust always, always have safe words. If they don't ask you your safe word you don't wanna play with them. Cause that should be the first thing you're asked or, or as a Dom that you're asking. Rule number um, safe, one. Totally number one. And if you can't think of one, red, yellow, green. You know, it's, we know it already from driving, so it should be real easy to follow that. Yellow is pause. I, mean, I need a break. I want to take this into other parts of my life. Right? Just walking into the grocery store red. Yeah, red. Red right now. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. And it works. But some people um, prefer like stimulation. So the tools range from something fairly innocuous. And this is just a little. It's pokey and it's roll. It's called a Wartenberg wheel. It's an actual medical tool. I don't know if that helps or not. Isn't
2: that for? uh, Isn't that for uh, uh, facial treatments?
0: You can't. Well, this one would. You wouldn't want to do this. Micro needling. It's for similar. Yes, that would be the smaller one that they usually use. But that one is. They're actually for nerves to test nerves and stuff like on um on people in a coma and things like that. Um, But what we use it for is is like during deprivation, not everybody can take a full outfit. So I have a full leather bondage, like full outfit where, you know, you can't move hands, you can't move anything you can't take it off. It's a straight jacket basically, but all the way from the top of your head down to the crotch area. And it ties on and it's great lovely it's a it's a favorite it's a fan favorite um but not everybody can handle that kind of deprivation i mean imagine putting like a bag over your head that would be like really stressful if you've never done it before so i usually start out with um really basic things like a soft a soft material type of um like gimp mask or just a little mask it has eye holes so you get some some you know your senses but not all of them like you can't move some of them have eyes covered some of them have different things and then when you're wearing that then you have sensory deprivation which is like where then you start bringing these tools in so maybe they're sitting in a chair and they have the mask on and they're cuffed down to the chair and then you're running this they don't know when it's going to happen they don't know how much pressure you're going to put on it they don't know where you're going to put it next it's a very like kind of surprising scary fun type of easy, very low level play. So that would be like the lowest level. And they actually make gloves called vampire gloves that have little metal bits on them. So you can wear them like a glove, but you can run that lightly or not so lightly down someone's back of their calves, lightly down their sides, like the flank area. Um, Even on their head, it's kind of like a really intense head massage. Some people love it. Other people are like, oh my God, that's too much. So it's nice because you're able to kind of decide how much pressure and how little pressure you're going to put. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie.
1: Like I'm looking at some of these things going, I have that in my kitchen, but it looks a little different. And the gloves that you were showing right now, I mean, we're audio only, but I was looking at those gloves going, I use something very similar to pull weeds from my garden.
0: Well, these are specially made, is there on lambskin so that you don't hurt anybody? Uh, Yes. But they do, it is, a lot of it is derived from objects like everyday things you know there's some of them that look like rolling pins but instead of a smooth area they have textures or little tiny points and things like that so a lot of them are derived from everyday objects but they're made for skin a lot of silicone-based tools are coming out now which is fantastic Um, and then you have you know the normal wood-based tools that you know paddles and you can pick what kind of like you know different finishes you want on them. Like this one, I tend to get mine with a smaller area because I have a smaller hand. So a man's and a lot of what they sell has a much wider grip. It's a little bit much for me, but this one's nice. I had this one customized. It has little spikes on the other side. So you can get a spanking and a little stimulation. Cause imagine okay. after, you know, try to keep it fun, extra fun. Um, so there's a lot of different stuff. There's chains back there for different types of bondage. Um, different types of paddles. We probably have probably 30 different types of paddles in here from acrylic to wood to silicone. So there's a lot of different ways that people can explore and different intensities as well.
1: Wow, very I love custom. that we live in the future and that all of these things are just readily available.
0: Yes. I love it. They really are readily it. available though. They're readily available. Etsy has some fantastic people who will customize things for you by color, but your name, it's fantastic. There's a, the BDSM is really growing. It's not this underground thing anymore. It's definitely getting a lot more acceptance since it's been more mainstream. And as much as I hate to say it, um, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is highly inaccurate, but gets the gist, has really kind of brought it into more norm and made, I think men realize that women are interested in that and women realize they're interested in that. And kind of brought some of it to the forefront, and had made it more like in your home type stuff. Where as before, if you wanted to check out anything BDSM, you, you had to go to like get porn, or you had to go to your local sex shop, or you had to go do some real shady stuff out on Craigslist. And it's definitely not like that anymore, which is which is probably one of the benefits of having it kind of put out mainstream like that. That's what I was about to ask
1: too. Is I mean, I've noticed in. I mean, I hate saying that it was 50 shades of gray, but probably I've noticed that people are tending to be more open, more willing to discuss uh, dominatrix, uh, domination, submissive, BDSM. I've noticed that there's more and more people that are willing to have the conversation. It's not as taboo. How, How does that, how do you feel about it? Is that
0: good or bad for business? I think it's great. Um, I think it's both. I think it, as always, when you open a new door and everybody comes in, um, for me, it hasn't changed a lot. My company really screens everybody. They're, they're much, you know, they have a lot of discretionary rules and stuff. So we haven't, I mean, we're busy, but we've always been busy. And that's, I think what people don't understand. 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago when I started there, we were busy, but because we were young and fun, now the, pe- the clients I get have changed a little bit. They're not, good looking, they're not looking so much at the physical part of what they want as a dominatrix. They're looking at what are your specialties? How long have you been doing that specialty? And they want something more long-term. Um, I have clients that I've had for three, four, five years on a regular basis. And then I have clients that I've had over like seven years that they come like twice a year. So it really, you know, for me, I've stayed fairly the same. It's more of how excited they are about it. But I definitely have noticed the rise in like OnlyFans dominatrixes and um, and people on um, like different social medias really like selling their dom services. And I kind of, you know, I, I teach classes for subs and doms, and I always tell them, ask you have a right whether you're a sub or not. You have a right to say, where did you learn? you know, I have first aid, I have CPR. Do they? Because should something, God forbid, happen, they need to be prepared for that, you know? And and do they have a clean space or are they meeting you in a dingy hotel room and bringing out weird stuff from their kitchen, which is cool if they're your own kitchen and your own stuff, but if you're meeting some sketchy dude at a hotel that he's going to dominate you and he's bringing out, you know, weird stuff that isn't, like, really looking clean or if it's not looking professional, then you're kind of you know putting yourself in a dangerous situation. I don't think in that area has changed very much. There's still sketchy people doing sketchy things for either sex or money. And you have to be aware of that. Like I've had a lot of clients who've come from domination, you know, dominance, dominatrixes, whatever, who have charged them all this money until they were dry and they didn't care and they just took their money and then didn't give them anything in return. And I always tell them you're here to serve, but you have to survive first. Like I have had fin subs before and I tell them, give me a list. I want a detailed list of all of your monthly expenses. Okay, you make this much a month and your expenses are this much a month. That means you have an overage of this much a month. This is what I'm taking. And this is what you can afford to pay. This is what you can afford to play. You know, Other ones, they just, you know it just depends on like what they're looking for and stuff so
1: fin is, sub is short for financial submissive yes okay
2: is, sure. is pricing uh uh out there in in the open or is it kind of like let's have a consultation and then we can talk uh costs?
0: um you have to pay to talk to me like i don't talk to anybody without you know because they'll waste your time oh well, give me a task so i can see if you're really a dom Get out of here, next. And I think what they don't realize is we have a lot of people who want to talk to us and want to waste our time or get dominated without, you know, we're putting time and effort. And the more time and effort, like I put, a, obviously, you know, I put a lot of, time. I have a dedicated space. It's safe, it's clean. I have, we take temps. I mean, we put a lot of time and effort. I have, these are higher end tools. Like, you don't know, just, uh, St. Andrew's crosses run at the minimum, maybe 1500. So for a customized, this is one of a kind. There are no others like it. And all the hardware on it alone probably cost like $200 just to make sure it's mounted to my wall. It's rated for like a thousand pounds. Like I make sure my stuff's pro like, and it's not cheap. And so yeah, there's my time. But if you're gonna go meet somebody in a hotel room who's gonna spank you a few times with, you know some porn, you know, some, you know, sex shop rope you're gonna have that pricing. So, but it also depends on what kind of, you know, what kind of session do you want? Do you want a fulfilling session with somebody who can read you because that's what they do? Or do you want somebody who's just thinking how much money they're going to make? You know, and that's the mm. difference. So it very the, much is your job and you get what you pay for. So it right. seems
1: like
2: the the concerns you have are the concerns of, of any, pretty much any other business you want. You want personalized a service that understanding the client the, the the right tools for a job the right space for the job uh, taking care of expenses um yeah this this sounds and this, this sounds like you're, you're, it's like you're talking about any other business
0: and that's and that's ultimately that's what this is this is you know While I live it as a lifestyle, which means I do surround myself with a lot of people who have a more submissive nature, that's just natural. I'm a dominant and I'm a dominant all day long. Now the degree of dominance obviously changes. Um, I don't can't interact with people and be like, Iris, you're doing this tomorrow. Like that (laughs) should be like "Um, yourself. I feel like excuse me. And just because you're Dom doesn't mean you're everyone's Dom. And that's something that a lot of people online don't learn. They think that just because you're a sub and just because they're a dom, they can dominate you. The thing is you're not their dom. So you come at them with the same respect, you'd come at anyone. But I do tend to draw or attract a lot of friends um, that are either really, really like out of the norm mold as well, or they have more of a sub nature and they enjoy that somebody has the plan. Oh, you guys want to come eat at my house? We'll do cocktails and we'll have s'mores. They're like, great plan, I can just show up. So. You know, a lot of just how I am naturally, I think, tends to attract that type of people. But I also have private submissives, People I usually meet um, through events. There's a lot of events in different areas. LA probably has the biggest here in California. Probably has the biggest like concentration. Um, but because of that, you can kind of get lost in the crowd if you're new. Whereas Southern California, like farther down in the desert areas, it's a smaller world, but it's definitely not any less um advanced we definitely have several different dungeons out here and things like that which is nice are
2: there are there conventions
0: there are conventions i don't personally hit too many conventions i like to go to events they have events where you can go to dungeon parties you can go to demos like i personally put on demos a few times a year probably about six times a year or so and it's like a cocktail party with a bdsm session at the end so you chit chat you talk I invite, you know, anywhere from 3 to 5 doms and they usually bring their own submissives and then we have a designated dom who will do, you know, for that night they're the ones who will do their session. So sometimes I'll have a primal dom that I have, you know, is come in and do their session and it's a different type of session than I would do because I'm a power dom. So I'm somebody who's incredibly rigidly controlled, the rules never change. I'm very much the same. This is what I expect, this is what you're going to do, this is how it's going to happen. Whereas with the primal dom, they're a lot more instinctually based. So they'll change their session based on even tools and things like that, based on what they're feeling and how, you know, where the vibe's taking them. And then you have daddy doms, which are much more sweeter. And they kind of, yes, they're going to hit you, but they're also going to be like, are you okay? Do you need things? What's going on? Whereas with me, I rely a little bit more on reading my client and I'm like, okay, he's probably thirsty now. We're going to take a break here. Things like that.
2: Do you, find, do you find that men uh, have a tough time expressing their, their wants and needs?
0: No, I think that's why they're here. They finally decided to express their wants and needs. By the time they get to me, they've already suppressed them for so long that they know exactly what they want and exactly what they need. They may not know what it's called, but they know like, like I, I think men are more accurate in telling me how much pain they can take. Whereas a woman's like, I don't think I can take anything. Like, I mean, maybe just like a little or... I think women are much more afraid of hitting, getting hit because it's such a thing, you know, obviously domestic violence and things like that is a very big thing. And you have to worry about it. There's a fine line between, and I tell my male doms this, get consent because there's a fine line between what you have consent for and violence. That's not necessary. And you have to make sure ask each and every, do you like this tool, this tool, this tool, this tool, if she says yellow, your arm should stop wherever it's at. Clear and enthusiastic consent in every part of life. Right, and that's where you know. For me, I feel like when a, a male client finally comes to me, he knows exactly what is missing and what he wants and what he wants to see, and that's nice because I feel like, I mean, guys usually think they can take a lot more, whereas women think that they can't take anything. Usually, yeah. like somewhere in the middle there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, I know, I know you've touched on you know, helping people uh, like explore uh, and stuff like that. Do you you find, do you find that you're uh, giving therapy on the side?
0: I feel like it's therapy, but I feel like maybe it might, might be. I mean, personally, as someone, like I said, I was a social worker for a little while and I saw a lot of crappy things and I saw a lot of things that people did to each other. And it, it was honestly one of the worst jobs I ever had. And I haven't had a ton. Obviously I've done this for a long time, but it was definitely a reason why i said like i can't do something that's gonna suck my soul you can't compartmentalize a child being hungry you just can't you just can't. right i can compartmentalize a grown man who spent 45 minutes after a session crying because it was so emotionally taxing on him that's fine he'll live you know it's hard and there's to, a huge
1: difference between when they're paying for it right and they're approaching right. you but right. versus being shoved into you're this going horrible. in for an entire other different situation, yeah. It was,
0: and 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 it was, you know, it was one of those things where I just knew that like emotionally, mentally, I couldn't do it. So, for me, this was a great area to be able to just kind of explore with people and show them things that they wanted to see. Where I felt as other jobs, it's like you're forced to do a certain thing all the time, and everybody has their role, and you don't get to change from it. Somebody could really love flogging, and then in two months have graduated to loving paddling too. There's an exploration, a, a, you know, a, a I don't know, like a, a line that you can push, but not cross. And it's a very, it's a very challenging thing. And it's also very rewarding to see how somebody may start out being like, oh, I don't know if I'll like that. I don't know if I can take that. I don't know. To, yes, I'm totally down. Let's try this next time. Like, to see their excitement. It kind of feels like when I first discovered BDSM and all of the cool parts and and little moving parts and pieces that came with it. And I feel like it's so cool to see someone else kind of discover that for the first time. And it's definitely a privilege to be able to walk with so many different people down these slightly different, but really like umbrella, the same path. So it's really neat to see them like kind of come out of whatever shell they were in or be honest with themselves about things. And that's always like, to me, the biggest... Plus, for it is it, it allows them a lot of times it does carry over into their personal lives a lot of my clients have been like I'm going to talk with my wife about this I really think that I think she you know should come or I think that maybe she'll let us maybe if I bring these toys now that I know how to use them I want to show them to her whether the person takes it or not at least they're exploring and they're they're not just sitting in that stagnant place where they're not happy they're learning they're growing they're I love yeah. it yeah me
2: yeah. too. you, you probably awesome answered favorite. my next question which was about uh exploring and 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 learning and finding limits and trying to figure out like going back to assemblies of god the tension between um sex and whatever values they grew up with and and the the internal conflict that arises um like what 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 have you seen uh in 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 your clients as they um go through this process like what like
0: like well, what? Like Like, what, like what have
2: you seen in, in uh, the process for some of your clients in terms of the that tension?
0: I think definitely it's. And also
2: for another. and also for you, do you have you have you uh, had any uh, have have you struggled with any any guilt of your own as, as you uh, uh, no. do, do this kind of work?
0: <laughs> no, I my one of my parents. So my father knows what I do, and my father's like, hey, my they separ- My parents are separated now. My mother is religious. My father believes in God and he holds to, you know, like a probably non-denominational is what I would call my father. And he is like super accepting. He's like, do you, like whatever makes you happy. Um, I think that it's great. At least you're not hurting people, you know, like without their consent, without their knowledge, you're not out there just beating on folks or, you know, lashing out or, you know, having road rage or, you know, whatever it is, like your choice in life, It while it's not conventional, like, are you happy? And that's really what my made me really like, I love my dad. He's so funny. That's so cool. And he's like, are you happy? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are you safe? And I'm like, yes. He's like, then I'm happy for you. And I'm happy that you're safe. And I'm like, thank you. Aww, um, dad. My mom just doesn't know because I feel like my mom would be like, I think she would freak out. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> like, like we have a, a a relationship is decent. Like it's decent. It's in a it's in a good place. And I don't want to I don't want to throw something at her that isn't really like, it doesn't affect her, you know, like as it doesn't affect me being her daughter and it doesn't affect me being her mother or her being my mother. So I feel like I don't really have to put all of that out there. Um, I do own other businesses. And so she knows I'm an entrepreneur. She knows I run businesses. She knows I've sold a business. And so, you know, she, that's like enough for her. I think if she asked me though, like really asked me, I would feel bad lying to her and saying like, oh, no, I don't do anything, you know, and if she was like, what are you doing, why can't you hang outside, I'd be like, well, mom, I have another job I'm doing, I think I would have, I prepared myself for the potential of that, but I don't feel guilty for being myself, and it's funny because I, I see so many people who do feel guilty for being themselves, whether that's, um, you know, a sexual reason, whether it's because they're heterosexual or they're not heterosexual or because they're polyamorous or because they're whatever their problem is, you know, that How about, that how about
2: for your clients? Do, do, do you see them struggling with with guilt? Oh, and okay. what, 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 what have you seen uh, that, like, tell me about their process of overcoming their own guilt.
0: Some of them don't. Some of them just live with it um, because they know they can't give up what they need. They know that they're not happy. With what they're doing the right thing but they're also like you know they don't want to be this bad person and i explained it to them like this why why would you have desires like this that don't hurt nobody that they're not against the law you know like why would you have desires like this if they were oh so bad if god made you in his image then that means that maybe God, I mean, God, you know, Jesus did go whip people and stuff for their taxes. And I'm just saying, I'm not the first person to use a whip, but Jesus also used a whip, you know? Like there is, there is, for me, it's like, it has to be like what you can handle. And a lot of these people just can't handle being unhappy or being wanting more. And they don't understand why they want more. And I tell mm-hmm. them, how can it be wrong? You're not hurting anybody. know you're not you're not like breaking any laws and it's a clean and very safe outlet for them to it's not a gambling addiction you're not turning around i mean there's people who like basically like we make a very on our business we run our company runs checks and stuff so like i don't own this company someone else does they run checks they run background checks they run credit checks they make sure you have the money to spend on this and if you don't your account gets canceled And for us, like for my clients, they're very open with me about everything. Anything I wanna know, they are gonna tell me and they'll give me W2, they'll give me whatever I want. So I know my people can afford it as well, my private clients. I Um, mean,
1: casinos don't check that on their gamblers. Bars don't check that on their drinkers. So, I mean, it's like, it seems extensive to a a certain point, but then it's just like, well, given the situation, it makes Mm -hmm. total
0: sense. Yeah. Because that would be probably a way where, well, there'd be a lot of liability too. I'm sure that would blow back that they're trying to avoid I'm sure for right. me on a personal level, it's just, I look at it like this. If the run, the dry, the well runs dry, so does mine. So I need to make sure that person is going to work on time. And I need to make sure that, you know, different submissions every morning on my personal submissions. Good morning. How you guys doing? What's up? Even people that aren't signed under me, like under a contract, but they're just around me and I want to make sure that they're okay. You know, at least a few times a week, I check up on, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? You're eating good. You know, you're drinking good. Because again, if your submissives aren't healthy in every way, financially, mentally, emotionally, most of my submissives, I tell them, are you in therapy? If they're not, and they have issues, I recommend that they go to therapy. So I would definitely say that, you know, you have to look at beyond the person. And I think that's something that a lot of other places don't do and I know for me that is something that's that's paramount because I can't push somebody farther than they can handle. And if their issues or their traumas are getting in the way of their exploration, we got to deal with that too.
2: Yeah. So so it so yeah, this is something that people don't know, and I'm learning this for the first time. There's a there's a very thorough uh, preparation and uh, vetting process and preliminary uh, screening process that's going on here,
1: and so it's even for safety kind purposes. Of things, and these kind of things get like that, some things that like make me crazy is I hear that there's the term sex work is used as such a catch-all umbrella for all kinds oh, yeah. of things when I mean what you're describing there's not sex what you're describing is companionship accountability or in like friendships to
0: a certain extent so it's not it's definitely I, I feel like this What I share with my clients isn't a sexual thing. It's an intimacy thing. I know your deepest, darkest secrets. And I am your intense, your your epitome of a fantasy. And it's not a physical thing. It's what I bring to the table. What I bring to the table is unrelenting dominance, high skill. I bring safety and I bring acceptance without any type of judgment or opinion on it. If you come in and you tell me your crazy wild fantasies, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, like, I'm not gonna do that. My whole job is to say, okay, let's make it happen. You know, and as far as sex, anybody can sell you sex for pennies. You can go and watch sex for free. I mean, sex is, I tell people this all the time, sex is cheap, dogs do it. Like, happens in the streets all the time with animals. Like, sex is not a, like a, oh my God, it's so hard to find. Like, it's not, especially, you know, if you're if you're attractive to other people and things like that, whether that's financially or physically, you know what I bring to the table is something totally different. I have you in a most vulnerable place when you're hooked up to that cross, butt naked with your ass out or with your you know your hands tied. You're in a vulnerable state. Sometimes their own partners don't see them in that vulnerable state, in a way that I see them. So there's definitely a lot more to it. I wouldn't call it a friendship because I feel like that's more in depth. Both ways, right? I would definitely say though, there's a space of intimacy, and that is definitely, I think, probably my most number one thing that I sell is that they know the space that they're coming into is 100% a space that's safe
2: and a place of acceptance.
0: Yeah, and and no acceptance, no no judgment. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And somebody can share that with you. Because I think that's something nowadays, especially with the pandemic, I think that has made my online clients triple. That's probably my only space, because we just started doing that not that long ago. Um, and now it's, it's taking up more of my time than my in-person clients. Um, and that's interesting, because they're not really even getting anything physical through that you know, in a sense of me to them, it's really the dominance and it's the intimacy and it's the fact that another human being knows your intimate secrets, your deep, dark, you know, fears and, and what you're worried about. I mean, it's very hard to sit in front of a total stranger and say, I really, really like this thing. And um, if my job or my wife knows that they'll probably fire me or leave me, that's really, really deep and hard to say. And it's a very hard truth. And I think that's my job is to listen to those and then help you navigate that and be able to have that, have your cake, but eat it too, you know?
2: Mm. Wow. Well, um, Vicious, Uh, um, this is very fascinating. I learned something new today, so thank you.
0: Definitely.
2: And uh, how can can, uh, people find you?
0: Um, I'm on Instagram at Dom, D-O-M-M-E, vicious, V-I-C-I-O-U-S. And it's no just all lowercase, no space or anything. And it's private, so you can request and I'll accept you. And then you can check out different pictures. I have a lot of um, information on my sessions. I have links to my actual dungeon and location and also requirements for possibly booking a session or just taking a class, because I do run classes um, we'll start again closer to summer and we'll just do like basic dom classes. We do like a basic rope class, things like that. Cause I think it's really important to pay it forward when you have a space like this so that your community can do things safely. Like it's fine to do things together with your intimate partners, but you definitely want to be safe, be able to ask all the questions and make sure that you're doing things properly so you don't hurt anybody. One of, circling
1: back, one of the things I learned early from my ho friends,
0: <laughs> if you're going to ho you be a smart hoe and you'd be a safe hoe. Definitely. Definitely. Safety is key in everything because there's so many like ways that, especially with BDSM, you can hurt somebody without meaning to, you know, like you as a dominant have to be in control of your emotions because if you start getting emotionally carried away, you could hurt somebody or put too much pressure. You have to really plan and think out and practice. I have dominance in my classes practice, no less. Than an hour a day minimum, and I'm talking get your flogger and just beat a pillow. Like yeah, it's not as fun as beating a person, but you're gonna have that muscle memory of that repetition down. You know, with with rope classes, I invite them to come in, and if you guys want to come in, tie each other up and get that practice, do it. If you don't have somebody to practice on, you know, make some time and come in th- to the class, and you can practice your ties on people. Things like that are a way where you can learn how to do things right. Watching a demo, I only do so many spaces. So I have very small, small, you know, space with the pandemic and everything. I'm just trying to keep them real small. But we have, you know, you can sit and watch. There's no more than a dozen people and we have a full session. You can watch all the different ways and see what different kinds, because some people don't even know what kind of dominant they are. They're like, I'm just really bossy. I'm like, yeah, you're just a control freak. That's not the same thing, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's neat to be able to see people in my area and people who are, you know, where I started years ago learning and, and kind of just finding out new things and Exploring maybe what they like and what their partners like too. And hopefully it'll help other people get intimacy as well, you know. I
1: I love it. I love uh, every part of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. This is well, so great
1: to listen to. I could listen yes, to you. I appreciate forever.
0: you guys so much for being open to the subject and, and having me on. So excited about it. And
2: well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much. All righty.